I really wanted to be involved with was nurse, with nursing, which was, you know, working in the community with our underserved uh, population. And um, that's, Torah has a really strong um, focus on social justice and health equities. Well, welcome back uh, to The Current, everyone. Um, thank you so much for checking us out once again. Um, if you're listening to the first time, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. Uh, although I guess you're not tuning into a podcast. It's not a radio. Um, <laughs> I am uh, I'm Bill. I'm your host, as always, uh, for Tour University's alumni podcast. Um I have a very exciting guest tonight, or today, or whenever it is you're listening to it, um, this afternoon. Um, um, it, it's exciting because uh, she's from the nursing program. We don't often get a lot of nursing guests because uh, they're busy. They're busy doing important healthcare stuff, um, so they're hard to get a hold of. But I, I tracked one down, and she's doing some fascinating work um, so I just wanted to introduce, uh, Jeanette Blanks. Uh, thanks for joining us here on The Current, Jeanette. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice um, to be here. You are, uh, uh, sort of a rare alumni. You're, you're an alumni and a student at the same time. Um, <laughs> tell me, uh, how, how your connection with Turo got started. Yeah, so um, I actually joined Toro's ADN to MSN program, which is a bridging program, um, and um, started that actually not long after I finished my nursing program. So just to kind of nursing is my second career. Um, so I, I intended when I started nursing to go all the way through to become a nurse practitioner, family nurse practitioner. And um, so Tora had a wonderful um, program, which was focused on the area that I really wanted to be involved with was nurse with nursing, which was, you know, working in the community with our underserved uh, population. And um, that's Tora has a really strong um, focus on social justice and health equity. So this is sort of how I got involved with Toro as a student. Um, and I finished my master's and then went straight into my um, FNP, family nurse practitioner, which is where I am currently as a student in my last semester. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, and I, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the work that you've done in your master's program. Um, but just for, because I know there's a lot of conversation um, in this industry um, and not a lot of clarity. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, we, we have a, a medical school, obviously, uh, at Toro. Um, but another one of the programs we have is a, a physician assistant program. And then there's what you just mentioned, the family nurse practitioner. And uh, a lot of people don't really understand the difference between all of those things. <laughs> From your perspective, what, how would you describe what a, a nurse practitioner is? So nurse practitioner, um, you know, PAs and nurse practitioners have similar um, responsibilities, ultimately, but we're governed by different bodies. Mm -hmm. So nurse practitioners are governed by the nursing body, whereas PAs are governed by the medical association. So that's really kind of the main difference. But nurse practitioners come from the nursing model. And so we, um, as nurses, are about 
patient-centered care, and we have a very holistic approach to um, care for our patients, and that carries through as a nurse practitioner. So you're you very much bring your nursing uh, mindset and your nursing empathy and and touch to your patient care as a family provider. Right. Um, one one thing that I that I think of my uh, my sister is a nurse um, of all of all careers um that we could be talking about um and one of the things i think about often with her um is um maybe just even peripherally um you, you see a lot of times where there's uh you know strikes going on and stuff like that and nurses are always uh they're underpaid and they're overworked and uh, what uh what um what sort of uh pitch can you give for the the nursing profession i mean it's obviously a very worthwhile and important career to have, but uh, it seems like there's some unrest periodically out there. So maybe it doesn't seem like the greatest thing to get into, but um, I'm sure you have a different perspective than that. Well, I think that if you are involved with an area of nursing that you feel really passionate about, mm -hmm. um, I think that's half the battle. Um, because if you love what you're doing, um, you know, you, you push through and you make it work. Um, absolutely bedside nursing. So hospital based nursing during the pandemic, um, is grueling and it, there was a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, as you probably know with a, a, a family member who's a nurse, um, you know, nurses spend the most time at the bedside right. with their patients. And so we're, you know, the, the work is far more hands-on and long hours. Um, there's, you know, it's a skill like anything else, you know, you need to put the time in, but it is grueling work. I mean, I personally, um, the reason why I went the family nurse practitioner route is my interest is actually not to work in the hospital. My interest is to work in the community and um, provide care through, you know, the full arc of care um, in, in the client, in a patient's, um, you know, life is, because I'm family, I can do it from pediatrics all the way through to geriatrics. Um, but yeah, I think that um, nursing really is, there's so many opportunities, so many varieties of nursing um, uh, elements that you can do in your life as a nurse. So it's really the career that that just can follow you for your entire life and, and you can constantly do something different. So yeah, I think um... it's an excellent career with longevity to the very end right right um and our uh our faculty is pretty awesome too so that makes it kind of an easy program to to be involved it's with. it's a great faculty mm -hmm. um absolutely what um what you mentioned the very popular path for a lot of our nursing students um usually what 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 happens is you want to become a nurse um, and then you seek out a nursing program. Often that's like at a community college or something like that. It's a couple of years mm -hmm. program. Um, so you get your uh, associate's degree in nursing. Um, and then after the associates comes a bachelor's and after a bachelor's comes a master's. And it seems like a really long process, but the associate's degree to master's program at Turo um, sort of, I don't want to say shortens that path, but it just sort of packages it all together so you can get all of that stuff all at once. Um, what was the thing that lured you to, like, pursue that master's degree? 
So absolutely, that's a good question. Um, so in my case, I did actually do my ADN. I did it, as you said, at a community college. I have already a bachelor's degree. And so for me, the ADN was concentrated nursing program um, in the, you know, in rotations from day one. So hands-on from day one. When I finished my ADN, I, you know, in order to get to nurse practitioner, you have to go through the ARC past masters. Um, but it Toro, that bridge from ADN to masters was really manageable. It was one semester, um, much quicker than going ADN to BSN. And it was far more valuable in that we were hands-on, um, again, doing clinical work. Um, and it was very engaging. Um, in fact, I actually started a bridging BSN program and I was so bored. Um, <laughs> so when I found Toro's program, I switched um, because I was just so bored in the BSN bridge that I was doing. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, it just felt like you were really on your way in, in the um, ADN to master's program with Toro because you just got um, straight in as soon as you started. You were in clinical, you were doing work, um, and the, the program is actually relatively short. Um, it's in a year and a half and come out with your master's. And that's obviously just that step above a BSN. So if you're a, if you're a nurse who's interested in you know, a little bit higher pay scale. Um, master's obviously is a, you know, slightly higher degree. And and, and and also in the master's program, you're prepared as a nurse leader. And so there's a mindset that you, that you leave that program looking always for quality improvement, how to make your patient care better, how to function better in your, in your team to provide better healthcare. So it really was a great preparation for any type of nursing. Right. And I don't think anybody's going to turn down more money anytime soon. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we we had, uh, before we started recording, um, we were talking a little bit about um, some of the work that you've done. Um, and in a master's program of any uh, academic area, usually there's a some sort of like a thesis or a capstone or some sort of project involved with that. And you did something that was not only very interesting, um, but it snowballed into something bigger. Um, can you first just talk about uh, what the project was that you worked on? Sure. So, um, and so this was part of my um, what we call a quality improvement project. So, and the degree is focused on clinical nurse leadership. So you're looking at, you know, your environment, whatever environment you choose to address and and look at a way improving the quality. So at the time I was um, working in our um, as a student in something called the project room key. And, and maybe some of your listeners will remember during the pandemic, um, at the very beginning, um, the state uh, wanted to take the most vulnerable homeless folks that were unhomed and put them places where they could stay safe um, and out of harm's way from, from COVID. And so a lot of the hotels that were shut down during the pandemic were repurposed for, um, you know, temporary housing. And so we had a big project room key in Vallejo, and uh, and that's the title. That's what it was called throughout mm -hmm. the program throughout the state. Really large one at the Hampton Inn Suites, and a lot of the students volunteered their time, et cetera. So whilst I was there, I was volunteering my time in the health clinic that was co-run by one of the faculty at Toro. 
And um, while I was there, I was noticing again, assessing the the environment, thinking, you know, where are the care gaps here? And one of the biggest care gaps is we, you know, of course, we had a massive um, previously unhomed population. Um, unfortunately, that population has a very high um, percentage of substance use, mm. um, you know, across, you know, sometimes multi-substance use. And what we were finding is that a lot of the um, our residents um, were unable to, there was no easy way for them to access substance use treatment. There were a tremendous number of barriers. And um, again, many of them, most of them are low income, no income which is just even a greater barrier. So the pro the project really was designed around like, how can we um, remove those barriers? Uh, what's the best way to remove those barriers and help people navigate, you know, into substance use treatment, recovery support services, and, and help, uh, you know, support the most successful journey to sobriety. That was the beginning of the, you know, that was the idea. It was it was a little bit bigger than my I could do in my master's time. <laughs> so um, I actually um, was able, I had the opportunity with one of my faculty to um, co-write a grant proposal, which proposed a program that would help do such a thing, at work as navigators and support uh, folks through this journey. And we were actually funded. Um, so that sort of was the birth of our Solano Options and Support Program or uh, acronym SOS. And um, we are a full team of um, healthcare providers. So we have myself as the as a nurse and also the program manager, we have mental health, we have case management. And I think the, and we work in partnership with um, all of our community partners at Solano County, our volunteer organizations like Vallejo Together, Fighting Back Partnership. There's, it's a real sort of community effort. And we sort of sit at the center and kind of navigate, pull the strings, you know, get the things done. And we do it very much on an individual basis. So we meet each person exactly where they're at based on what their needs are. And we construct a plan and we take them through the journey with full warm handoff um, from point to point and then provide them with that uh, support when they're kind of on their way. And we continue to support them throughout their journey. Right. So that's that's the program and it's been going now for gosh i guess we're about a year and a half in at this point yeah um and i know there's uh there's probably a lot of detractors <laughs> for um people in that sort of position that you know i know there's a lot of sense that um you know when you're living on the streets or wherever it is you're living and you've got um drug or alcohol problems or whatever that you sort of caused all of these things to happen to yourself. Um, what, um, and there, I, you know, there might be an element of truth into that, but I mean, you've worked closely enough now uh, with this population. What, what do people not have right about that perception? Oh, well, that perception, I will tell you is completely incorrect. <laughs> um, you know, one has to sort of unravel this ball of yarn, right? right? People don't decide, wake up one day and go, gosh, I really want to have a substance use problem. I really want to live on the street. You know, nobody chooses that, right, right as their goal. Um, you really have to go back to where did, where did people, where did 
people start off and where you off what you often find is this comes from a place of trauma. Mm. So it often starts with trauma and, you know, we can just keep, you know, following that ball of yarn back all the way to the beginning. You know, a lot of people are raised in households that are uh, dysfunctional, that don't have um, the support they require as children. There's, you know, there can all kind of, of things that could happen at someone's childhood that then affect the next stage that affect the next stage. And, um, you know, they end up in an adult situation, um, having lived through a lot of trauma. And what we find a lot is, um, you know, the substance use often is starts off as a way of self-medicating and often fairly early, you know, Um, and then it, it just builds from there because at the end of the day, it's ultimately a disease state, isn't it? Um, so, um, but I think people need to, to look at, somebody and think to themselves, you know, really, would you, would you set out to choose this path Mm -hmm. and think, well, actually what may be really going on here and, um, and really think about the trauma that, that a lot of these people have have undergone and maybe that's the root of the problem here. Great. It it must be, um, a real challenge to deal with because I'm imagining, like you said, that there's, um, all these sort of mental health elements that go into this but um there's also just like actual physical health things that go along with um you know you're not supposed to be drinking lots of alcohol or whatever that sort of thing how how difficult is it to to sort of um to deal with these issues for people um who have been in this sort of situation for a long time and and um you know, they, they're, they're not always the most equipped to deal with, um, you know, they, they, they can't just stop doing it, <laughs> you know, like, like it's, um, it's a, it's a lot of effort and a lot of treatment that goes into that while they're doing that whole process. They also like, you know, they see people like you and they've got runaway blood sugar or whatever, you know, things like that, <laughs> that you're trying to also manage. How, how challenging is that for you? Well, it it is challenging. People are challenging. <laughs> I don't, you know, it doesn't matter where you, who you are. Patients are challenging. Um, and some have more challenging issues than others. Um, I think that the, the number one thing is, you know, ev- we treat everybody as an individual. So, you know, there is no plan that we follow that everybody fits into. So everybody's cases is individualized. Secondly, we approach everything without judgment. So, Wherever you're at, if you come to us and say, of our team, and say, hey, look, I really am ready for some change. I'm ready for change. You have to initiate it. You have to have the motivation, right? We know, no one, we all know, you can't drag somebody kicking and screaming and say, you have to do this. This is what is right for you to do. You have to be ready for that change. So that's number one. When they, when they state they're ready for change, we're like, great, we're here. And to your point, um, it is really hard and people don't always get over the line the first time or the second time or the third time. <laughs> so, you know, we have lots of people in the community that we've had a lot of sort of, you know, false starts and we said, no problem, you know, hey, 
come back, you know where we are, come back when you're ready again, and we'll, we'll try, we'll go again, you know, and it's always the same thing. You just, you know, come from a place of no judgment and people there, they eventually, when they're ready, they, they're ready. And um, so that journey is really, it is long, but, and that's kind of the beauty of, you know, I think where our team is pretty successful is that we are able to kind of take away some of that as the things that make it really hard to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you are dealing with mental health, um, anxiety, depression, et cetera, you know, it is, you get frustrated very easily and you can give up very quickly. So, you know, having a team of people who are kind of are just parting the waters and making sure that you don't have to take away as much of that stress as possible to get from point A to point B. And then, you know, to surround you with um, support. So if you're like, I'm not so sure, you know, you know, you got a team of people that are rooting for you to be successful. Um, And it's a lot of these folks, you know, they haven't maybe are not connected with their family anymore or don't have people who believe in them. You know, um, and so we like to really be cheerleaders, right. you know, and give people that support and motivation and and also to say, like, hey, you know, we're not going to disappear on you. You know, if you're not if it doesn't work out this time, that's fine. Just come back. We're not going to give up on you. And I think that that's half the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say part of what you mentioned was um, a lot of times there are people with, you know, like no means or little means. Um, and so probably they don't have insurance, so they don't have access to like appropriate medication. So like these things that they're using are often the only thing that they can get their hands on. So that's the other thing that makes it really difficult to break that cycle. Um, but one of the things I wanted to get into, I didn't want to leave it all dour. Um, you, you must <laughs> <It's not dour. laughs> you, you must have um, some success stories that that uh, that must be really. Um, I'm imagining by the time you're you're reaching your sort of low point and thinking like, oh, this is never going to work. Like <laughs> people just keep falling on the ground again. Um you you must have these success stories that like put a lot of wind in your sails to like encourage the whole team to like keep going like hey we're doing the thing that we're trying to do like it's working well and and you know you're absolutely right it it can be a little disheartening right you put all your heart and soul and you think you've got somebody ready to go you know like yes yes you know we're all behind you and then they're like disappear right <laughs> and that's really really very common in the homeless community because you you know, some they just move around a lot and you lose track of them. Um, but we've had some great successes and, you know, clients that have very different backgrounds. So we had one client early on who um, had a, gosh, I want to say a 30-year history of alcoholism. Right. And she came to us um, ready and you know we had a couple false starts but finally went and she was just ready and so we're like okay and because alcoholism um there's a real health risk a a genuine health risk um if you come if you come off alcohol cold turkey you can't um you risk having potentially a fatal seizure so Hmm. in her case we were able to get her to the ed 
get her into uh, medically um, supervised early stage detox and then released with discharge with anti-seizure meds. We got her into then a, a, a detox program. And while she was in her detox program for seven days, we were able to organize outpatient rehab for her and um, and also organize some transitional housing so that she had a, a stable address while she was in her outpatient rehab. So she did a year of outpatient rehab, um, managed to get in, stay in her transitional housing, and she has been clean for over a year. And that's the first time in 30 years that she um, has not been drinking. And, um, you know, while she was, uh, you know, becoming sober and staying sober, she reconnected with one of her children. She um, started looking into finishing her GED. So there was a lot of, you know, motivation to, to, right. to take the next step in her life journey um, from that from that landing point or that jumping off point. So it was great. Really, really great to see that yeah and there have been there have been several others just different flavors yeah yeah i mean that's amazing um and such a such a difficult challenge um not to mention uh after 30 years of drinking after a year of not drinking your liver must be just like what is going on now um <laughs> she remarkably had actually a pretty good liver <laughs> function that was pretty surprising yeah, yeah she yeah. had pretty good liver function yeah that's um our liver's magical yeah and, it, and that's so great that you you know you can make those family connections again and and start to have some of these other successes that kind of validate the work that um not just you do but the the person themselves you know it's um probably hasn't had a lot of you know good news moments in their life for for a while yeah, um absolutely so yeah that's that's a that's a real victory um so <clears throat> excuse me i'll have to cut that out um <laughs> um before before we uh before we run out of time here um i i wanted to see if you could make a case if you're a young nurse out there and you're thinking like yeah i don't know i'm kind of on the fence about this career <laughs> it's a lot of hard work and you know i think i have a passion for it like you mentioned but um you know maybe if i was in more of a position of leadership or, and I was making a little more money or whatever, like why, why is Toro's, uh, nursing program, like a good choice in your opinion? I think from my personal experience, and I think this is reflective across the program. Um, if you come into it with a, um, a desire you know, a real genuine desire to explore your interests in nursing. Um, the, there is so much support for this. And, you know, it was as simple as me, in my case, seeing this, you know, care gap and thinking, gosh, you know, this, this is something I'd really like to look at. Um, I'm really, really interested in this. You know, within almost immediately, my faculty was like, hey, here's this grant opportunity. I'll support you if you want to write, you know, write a narrative for it. And I'm like, OK, I've never written a grant proposal, but I'll I'll give it a go. I mean, thank you for this. And so I think if you're the kind of person who wants opportunities to really um, drive forward your ideas 
you, you know, there's so much support for that genuine support. And, um, and you're working with a team of, of, of leaders who actually are actually engaged in the community where the university is based. Right. So there's just so many connections that you can make and explore that. Um, and I, I think it's very different from a lot of nursing programs that are remote and that you might be doing, you know, in another state altogether or whatever. You don't have that connection within the community where your university is based. And I think it's very hard to form those deep uh, uh, relationships with your faculty, um, you know, if, if it's very remote. Um, so I, for me, it was very, very successful. And I feel like you have the opportunity to drive forward really what you want to do. Um, it's just tremendous opportunity if if that's kind of where you're at. Um, if you're looking, if you're not sure what you want to do, and it's kind of an, a great place to sort of um, sit with it and um, be inspired. And you never know. I had no, I never set out to do this. Right. And it's sort of, like you said, it's sort of snowballed and I love it. And it, I find so much meaning in what I'm doing and um, I never feel bored right. ever. <laughs> so always challenged. Yeah. Well, if, um, if you are a nurse and you're on the fence, hang on. Uh, Cause you're very valuable and very important to the healthcare industry and uh and Toro is always here for you um <laughs> we've got a, a lot of great alumni a, a fantastic faculty and a very supportive program um and who knows maybe you'll write a grant for your master's program and it'll turn into a whole thing um <laughs> so um we're we're almost out of time here so I, I wanted to thank everybody for uh checking us out and listening uh Thanks also to uh, Jeanette Blanks for being our guest here. And until next time, we will see you guys all on The Current.